belong, and be led. You may or may not know these names. Uh, uh, if you don't, it's okay. I assure you there's a world of people that do know these names that a month ago didn't know them. John Altobelli, Carrie Altobelli, Alyssa Altobelli, Christina Mauser, Sarah Chester, Peyton Chester, and Ara Zaboyan. You may not know those names. You might know this name, Gianna. And you probably know this name, Kobe. It wasn't too long ago that, I don't know the exact date, that I was speaking and walked down the stairs and got right here and found out that Kobe Bryant had died. I mean, I, in this world we live in where information travels so fast, I didn't make it to here. <laughs> I made it to here, and someone told me. And, and I had, I, it was like, I, I just started backing away, like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, back up, man, wait a minute. What? I, and it was this flood of, of, of emotions and going from, from, you know, this, this time of sharing God's word and, and, and just being enthusiastic and, and then boom, man, I, I, it was a weird thing. It was hard. It was, I mean, it was hard to get from there to there. And, and then to walk out there, it was like, I, I, I don't know. It, one of the strangest moments of my life, and I did not, do not know Kobe Bryant nor anyone that was in the helicopter. Um, that same day, I got a text message from a family who said, you know, uh, so-and-so's husband has died. Can you do the funeral on this particular day? And you have to know that when it comes to funerals, you don't have to ask me anything. You tell me. Because there's nothing else that matters on that day. Oh, you know, I'm going to, I got a lunch appointment. No, nothing else matters. Nothing. And, and I said that. Um, and and I, I couldn't help but feel like here's, here's this, this, this man who was larger than life, who's, wor who's, who's world renowned. And there are people who died alongside of him that the whole world knows their names. And, and it's, it's, you know, worldwide and at the same time here's a family whose husband slash father has died and and the grief that they share is every bit as as the grief here um and though the whole world knows about this there's a there's a family and a, and a group of people that he worked with that know about this that are grieving as well and i'm not saying One's better or worse, or I'm not judging that. I'm just saying that, that it's a level playing field when it comes to these things. You know, I watched the memorial service, most of the bits and pieces of, 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 of the memorial service they had at the Staples Center for Kobe and these ones who, who passed away. And, and, and there was a lot of talk about heaven, a lot of talk about what Kobe's doing in heaven or what Gianna's doing in heaven and 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 
And I make no judgment about whether that is true, whether they're in heaven or not. That's not my point of, of what I want to share with you today. I did not know the man. I knew that he, I know that he and his family were Catholic. I read that. That's all I know. And so I'm not saying anything about that. But I think that there's the something about this that we can, we, can, we can learn something from. And this has been just resonating in my heart. So I want to share this message with you for two reasons, three reasons. And if I keep talking, it could be five or six. But one is that I really believe God put it on my heart. God, I believe like the Holy Spirit spoke these words to me, not audibly, but in my heart. Number one. Number two, I believe that this is something that we all need to stop just for a moment and think about. And, and number three, I, I believe that this is something that will help you to enter into conversations about these kinds of things because they're not easy. They're not easy. Um, but I will say this. It seems that everybody wants to believe there's a place of peace and tranquility for them when they die, but also for those that they love. I mean, like, like the, 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 there's, you look at different cultures, different people groups, different times, and, 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 and there's a belief that, yes, there's something beyond this. And uh, uh, all major faiths for sure uh, b- believe that. Uh, and, and there are other beliefs that, that somehow by living your life a certain way and based on how well you live your life here, that when you die, that there's this repayment in a good or a bad way. Uh, some call it karma, which I've... Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I, I mean, how do you define karma? Where does karma live? How, does karma ever get it wrong? I mean, is, it, 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 the belief in karma says that there's something, someone, somehow supernatural that knows all things and will make sure that it, it all balances. Do we know that for sure? Is that, what's that based on? It's based on something that's beyond that's based on in our hearts that we we really want something better than this life now you can live a great life great family great kids great job not really go through a whole bunch of tragedy don't know who that person is but you know you can you can live a life like that and then you can die and like okay they lived a great life and so they've gone on to a better place or you can live a tragic life with all kinds of difficulty and hardships and, and boy, do you really, really hope there's something better, uh, 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 that something is waiting for you that is better. So here's my first question to us this morning. Why do we believe that? Why do we believe that? And where does that belief come from? Let's all stand. I want to open us up in prayer this morning. I'm, I'm, I, I, I love the movie Gladiator. Sorry, I know, I know. It's like, what? You watch? Yeah, I watch it multiple times. I love it. It's like, you know, like right to the end where he really gets them in the end, right? But uh, it, it, at the end of the movie, though, if you remember, it's this scene where there's, there's a wall and there's a door. And, 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 and uh, what's the name? Is, what's his name? The guy? I just want to see who said it first. Maximus? I think it was coming from right here. Maximus! Man, he kind of said it like Maximus, too. Uh, there's a point where he, he's, he's, he's crossing over. And there's a, there's a wall and, and there's a door and he, and he enters, you know, kind of back and forth, right? Because he's still in battle, but then he's halfway there and he's back and forth. And, and he goes through the door and, and there's this paradise and he sees his, 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 his son running to him and his, and his wife. And, and oh, oh, how cool. 
Uh, wouldn't that be great if that were actually true? Yeah, it would be. Uh, it wasn't like a question to trick you, like, oh, no, it's not. Well, <laughs> time out, time out. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we, we want to hear from you because we believe that when we gather together, you're here. There's nothing special about a bunch of people meeting together, but you being here makes it different. And we believe that your Holy Spirit is here to speak on relevant issues today, just as 2,000 years ago when you walked the earth. And so speak by your spirit and give us ears to hear whatever it is we need to hear from you because we need to hear from you, Lord. And so we, we give you the floor. Would you speak and give us ears to hear? And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Would you give someone a high five and have a seat, please? You guys are feisty today. Feisty. I know, right? The gladiator reference always gets everybody fired up, right? So could it be that tribes, people, nations throughout time have something inside of them to believe in this because it's pre-wired? God put it there. God put it there for a reason. Could it be that it's not just something that we hope for, but it's something that God placed within us that would cause us to search him out and find him? Maybe. It says this, Blaise Pascal was a Christian scientist, philosopher. And he said this, and you may have heard the term a God-shaped void. Well, he never actually said those words, but that phraseology is based on what he said. Basically, he says that, that within each of us, there's a, there's a void that only God can fill. And, and that we will try multiple things to fill that void. It's a sense of belonging. It's a sense of value. It's a sense of, of peace, a sense of tranquility. It's, it's something that says that your life matters. And, and we, will, we will go to the ends of the earth to find that, even to the point of destroying our bodies to try to find it. We do that. But, but, but Blaise Pascal said that, that, that God put that void in you so that you would search after him. And this is what his exact words were. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since his, this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, God himself. So in Acts chapter 17, Paul the Apostle uh, uh, goes to a place called Mars Hill in Athens. And Mars Hill was a place of the, the philosophers and, and uh, uh, the Stoics. And, and they'd sit around all day and, and philosophize. I'm not sure if that's a, a word, but hey, y'all know what I mean. Yeah, man, are you philosophizing, man, just all day long? That's, that's what they would do. they sit around like, 
Hey, man, what you think about this? Oh, and they'd wax eloquent and oh, and they'd present their case and, you know, just sit around all day and philosophize. And I just thought, man, don't these guys work? I mean, like, get a job, bro. I mean, golly, you sitting around all day talking, 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 ain't making no money, man. No, you can't come over and eat. No, get a job. So he goes into this, it, it was, the, it was the, the Harvard of Athens, you know, the, oh, the, the intellectually elite, you know, how, who is this, not, this nonsense you're talking, you know, like they talk down to people and, and uh, well, what credentials do you have? Well, I have none. Oh, trivial nonsense. And, you know, anyway, you know, the, the Cal Berkeley of, of Athens, no disrespect of all graduates from any of those wonderful institutions. No disrespect. Uh, so he shows up and, 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 he, and he notices as he's walking around Athens all the, st- all the statues to all the gods. And it's like there's a god for everything. And it's like you got to be kidding me. And so he, he finds this, this connection point because about 700 years later, God visited these people and saved them from a plague. And, and, and because they didn't know the name of, of their god, uh, uh, they go, well, what's, what's the name of, your God, of this God who delivered us? And, and the prophet at that time who was speaking to them, Ephemonides, says, we don't know the name of the God. So they build a statue to the unknown God. That's what they do. Now, you can read about it in a book called Eternity in Their Hearts, written by Don Richardson, a Christian anthropologist who, who chronicles the visitation of God in people and, and tribes and nations before a missionary ever got there. Eternity in their hearts. He, he chronicles this story. And, and so that's the backdrop. So Paul shows up, and, and this is sort of what he says to them. And it, it relates to this desire within us to believe someplace there's, a bit, there's more than this and that there is a God. <clears throat> Acts chapter 17, verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you're very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Now you got to think, they're like, what? I mean, like, we got nothing but temples, man. He just disrespected the whole temple building process here in Athens, right? He goes on. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Ah, he's the origin of all life. This is interesting because they believe their gods were the origin and the sustaining power of all things. And he he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. And if you ever wanted a statement against racism, you could quote this one, because we all come from one man. And therefore, we are all brothers and sisters having determined their appointed times and boundaries. That is their beginnings and their end. Their rising and their falling. 
I would say their birth and their death. Uh, having determined their appointed times of their boundaries, of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Ah, so, so, so Paul says that, that, that there's a God who is, who is sovereign and, 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 and he made everything and, and that he has, he has determined for individual people their appointed times and their boundaries, their birth and their death, their rising and their falling, their habitation. And he, he has done all of that. Why? Because he is pre-wired within every human being to seek God. That's why it says creation declares the glory of God. You can't get out of Las Vegas, get into the middle of nowhere, and look up at all the stars without something within you wondering, where did this come from? How could this possibly be here? How could order the way that the universe is, is ridiculously, infinitely orderly, how did this all spring out of nothingness? And, and you begin to, 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 to search out him. And he says, look, you don't just look at my creation because it declares my wonder and, and my glory. So, so we might grope for him. Uh, he's, he's put that within our hearts that we would search for him. And that we would find him because guess what? He's not far from us. He's not far from us. I was at a, 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 deb- a debate at UNLV. It was, it was an atheist professor who was speaking with a Christian philosopher, and they had Q&A times afterwards. So I asked a question, and, you know, I was made sure I was first to the microphone. I wanted to get mine in, you know. Boom, I was right there. And um, anyway, part of his response is, why this, this Christian professor, uh, 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 atheist pro- professor said, why would God create everything create human beings, and then run and hide so that you can't find him. Oh, I beg to differ with you. It's easy to find him if you're searching for him. (laughs) Ecclesiastes, uh, the wisest man who ever lived, of course, apart from Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, uh, uh, speaks to this. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has planted eternity. And that is, the Amplified Bible says, a, uh, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart. A mysterious longing for nothing un- that nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. There it is. Ecclesiastes 3.11 in the Amplified Version says, We hunger and we thirst for God uh, and we'll even make up our own to satisfy that hunger and thirst because God put it there. He's placed eternity in our hearts. Paul says, Having predetermined their appointed times and boundaries. Let me give you a few facts. How many of you are glad you came this morning? Okay, mostly this section here. Okay, great. The rest of you, don't leave. I've instructed Jesse to go get you if you leave. And he will get you. He will escort you to your car with questions the whole way there. Here's, here's the reality. We all have an appointment with death. I, I Really, bro? Seriously? I mean, I got up, came to church... To hear about death. Really? Like, yeah, really. Because 
God has appointed our times and our seasons, so I believe you're here because you need to hear this. And I'm not being boastful in that, like, oh, I got something to say. I believe the Lord wants to speak to us. We all know this. We have an appointment with death, every one of us. It's an appointment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, just as it is appointed and destined for all men to die once, and after this comes certain judgment. We have an appointment, all of us. I know, man, nobody wants to talk about that, bro. We're talking about life and long life. And, and yet the reality is there is a time appointed for every one of us. How many of us have ever really think about that? Not in the sense of insurance and getting your own burial plot and making sure that everything is together, which you should do that. Because it's a nightmare for your family if you die and everything is just like a mess. You know, but but get, get your stuff in order because you do have an appointment. When is that appointment? I don't know. But how many of us live our lives like that could be next year or 10 years from now or 20 years from now? Uh, How many live our lives like that could be next month? Here's the reality. And I hope it's not prophetic. I may not be here tomorrow. I could die tonight. That's the reality. And we've all experienced that where somebody that we just talked to and we're like, you got to be kidding me. uh, Really? We, We don't think about that as much. Some of us do. Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love quotes Frederick Beacon who wrote, intellectually, we all know that we will die, but we do not really know it in the sense that that knowledge becomes a part of us. We do not really know it in the sense of living as though it were true. On the contrary, we tend to live as though our lives would go on forever. That's true. It's just how we are. We don't want to, man, we don't want to talk about death and, man, let's just, you know, let's just party, man, and have fun. Not think about things like that. And it's the reality. And here's the thing. We don't know when that will happen. First of all, we all have the appointment with death. And secondly, we don't know when it's going to, we don't know. There are times when, when, when in my mother's life, when, when her life was ebbing away, we knew it was going to happen. It's like, mom, you're, you know, it's, it's coming. Uh, her, her body is shutting down. And except for a miracle, she's going to be with Jesus. And, and that's okay. You know, and when she breathed her last breath, it was like, it was a holy moment. Okay, she's gone. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, and, 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 and in, a, in a surreal, weird way, it was okay. And, and maybe we're okay with that, but we're not okay with like, no, I just talked to that person. There's no, no, they're too young. No, how could that happen? I don't remember how long ago it was when there was a young lady who was in the backseat of a car, a high school student, and, and they went out to the lake and the driver had been drinking a little bit too much. I don't know what else was going on. She gets in a car accident and she loses her life. And I'm doing a funeral and half of El Dorado High School is there because How can this happen? This is not okay. 
And the reality is, is when, and I reference Kobe Bryant, I understand that seven in the morning he shows up at his church, uh, he was a Catholic, and he goes to, goes to Mass in and, and a church in Newport, and at 7 a.m., jumps in a helicopter. Nobody in that helicopter thought it would be their last day. No one did. And that's the harsh reality of life. The day that we're born, we have an appointment. We just don't know when it is. So let me ask you a question. Are you ready? Don't answer. Are you ready? Am I ready? Francis Chan, again in his book, Crazy Love, tells the story of Stan Verlech, a successful businessman who was well-known in his community. And this is what he says says that this man was giving a eulogy and a funeral service when he decided to share the gospel. And at the end of the message, Stan told the the mourners there, you never know when God is going to take your life. Chan says at that moment, he said, at that moment, there's nothing you can do about it. And then he asked this question, are you ready? And then Stan sat down, fell over and died. His wife and sons tried to resuscitate him, but there was nothing they could do. And what he had said only minutes earlier happened in his life. They called Francis Chan and says, we need you to meet with the family right now. They were a part of his church. He gets down there and, and, he, and he meets with the family and his son runs up to him. He got there before, his, before the man's uh, wife had gotten there and he, and he uh, as they all gather together, and his son runs up to him, uh, uh, Stan Verlach's son, and, and he says, did you hear the story? Did you hear? I'm so proud of him. My dad died doing what he loved doing most. He, he died telling people about Jesus. I have never preached a bad funeral. I don't like funerals. I would just as soon not do, it's one of the hardest things I have to do. And it sucks every time. I'm sorry. I hate them. I don't like doing them. Everyone wants nice things to be said about that person when they die. You can't say bad things about the person who died. You can't do that. Could you imagine? Can I tell you, make it easy on the pastor who does your funeral. Don't make it hard for him. Live your life in such a way that when you die, the pastor doesn't have to lie about you. You guys are applauding that. Wow, that's, that's weird. That's strange. Not sure why you're applauding. I've heard over and over and over again. Listen to me. I've heard over and over and over again. Yeah, when they were eight years old, 
they said a prayer and they asked Jesus into their life. And they have no evidence of that relationship at all in their life. Let me get this straight. This person has no evidence of a walk with Jesus. And you want me to say they've gone to heaven when I have no idea if they're there or if they're not. Welcome to my world. Oh, no, but they were eight years old and they they were in children's ministry and they asked Christ into their heart. I'm not minimizing that because I believe in the prayer of faith. I believe in the person who says, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this. I believe in the person who prays and and maybe they don't even know they're praying, but they say, oh, forgive me, Lord, for my sins. I, I believe in that. But I also ask you, is that all there is? And sometimes I think we sell a bill of goods and we say, just say this prayer and everything will be fine and your wildest dreams will come true. And that's not true. It is more than just a prayer. And I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying that's not all there is. And sometimes we sell this thing like if you said the prayer, then you're in and you may not be. Well, I was baptized when I was nine years old. Wonderful. What does that mean today? This is the harsh reality. What evidence is there that one has a genuine relationship with Jesus? I'm not the judge. I'm not the one. But I know there are things that will be evidence of that. I know there will be. I know there'll be something, right? If you're married, there ought to be some signs that you are married. There ought to be some evidence in your life that you have a relationship with this person you're in covenant with. There ought to be some. Could you imagine asking someone, are you married? Oh, gosh, I don't know, man. I'm not. Let me get back to you on that next week. What are you talking about? You're either married or you're not. Yeah. Ah, uh, you know what? Mm, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I said the words when I was 25, but you know, I'm 45 now. I don't, I don't know. It's like, bro, get away from me. You don't even make sense. How much more should we know whether or not we have a relationship with Jesus? How much more? How much more? So here's three things. That's all they are. Call them what you want. Indicators, evidences, I don't know. Number one, believe. Oh, so simple. Just believe. And I have friends who have actually told me, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. To which I go, so my grandfather was a Nazi. He believed. Is he in? I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just saying. It mat- Beliefs like worldviews have consequences. And to say it doesn't matter what you believe is sort of a generic way to say, God bless the world. Everything will work out in the end. Wait a minute. Based on what? What do you believe? So let me tell you a few things we need to believe in based on what the word of God says. First John chapter five says everyone who believes and the Amplified Bible says with a deep abiding trust in the fact 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, is born of God. If you believe with abiding trust, you believe in here in your heart, then you're born of God, and that is you're reborn from above, John 3, 3, born again. You're spiritually transformed, you're renewed, and you're set apart for his purposes. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, which represents all that Jesus Christ is and does, so that you will know with settled and absolute knowledge that you already have eternal life. John says, I'm writing to you who believe with a deep abiding trust in the fact you believe in Jesus, the Son of God, that you may know right now, you know that you have eternal life. John chapter 3, verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the desert on a pole, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on, on the, uh, the cross so that whosoever, what? Who, that's what I, that's, people say, well, well, who are you? I'm a whosoever believes. That's who I am. Whosoever believes him will have eternal life after physical death and, and will actually live forever. What you believe matters where you will end up. What you believe determines how you live your life. We don't have to ask you a whole lot about what you believe. We just have to analyze your life. Let us look into your life, and in a day or two, we'll tell you what you believe. Because we live our life based on what we believe. So you first believe. Believe. And it's not just, oh, yes, Jesus is the Lord. What does that mean? Well, I don't know, but he is. Okay. Okay, you know what? That's not. Yeah. And, and I'm, not, I'm not making fun of people. I, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not at all. I have no right to do that. I'm just a whosoever. That's all I am. A whosoever believes. <laughs> James says this, you say you have faith. And he's speaking to people who do all these great things. And they say, uh, or, 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 or who, who say they have faith, he's, uh, but they have no evidence of it. And he says, you say you have faith. For you believe that there is one God, and he goes, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Because you say you have faith, but nothing in your life reveals the fact that you do. We interviewed 100 people that you know. Now, one of them mentioned you as a follower of Christ. There's an issue with that. Now, you may be quiet about your faith. Don't want to talk a whole lot about it. Okay, okay. All right. Listen, if you had a cure for the coronavirus you would tell somebody. Unless you were really selfish. You would tell somebody. Why? Because you have a cure for death. We have the cure for death. The one who overcame the grave and Satan and sin. How much more should we tell people about it? You have to believe. Number two, you have to belong. Everybody say belong. Oh my gosh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So there is, now there is no, what's that word? There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Listen, if you believe according to what the word of God says, why do you feel condemned all the time? You should not. Because you're saying that the blood of Christ and his resurrection from the dead is not enough to assure me of... It is enough. 
It is all there is. Sometimes I ask people these questions and, and they go, well, are you a follower of Christ? Well, you know what, man? I don't know. I don't know. I, I literally had this conversation with a man who was dying. He was going to die soon. And I said, do you believe in Jesus? And he says, yes. I go, well, what do you believe? And he told me. I go, okay, you believe in your heart. Yes. And I said, if you, when you die, and I tried to be nice and say it could be tomorrow, it could be 10 years from now, whenever it is, because we don't know. It was a week later. I said, do you, do you believe that when you die, you'll go to heaven? He goes, I don't know. I go, well, let's deal with that. Let's address that issue so you can have the First John 5 confidence. These things have been written that you who believe in the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So we, belong, we believe, then we belong. There's no condemnation for those who belong, who belong to Christ Jesus. Whose are you? Oh, I belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to the Sin is no longer your master. You're not at the whim of your own selfish desires, which we all have. But because of the spirit of God living within us, sin, we're freed from sin. Do we sin? Yes, but we're free from the grip and the power of sin. The Amplified Bible says, 1 John 2 says this, verse, verse 18, from this we know that the last hour has come. John's describing the, the, the end of the end of times, and he talks about people in the church. This is how we know, he says, these people left our churches, but they never really, what's that word? They never belonged to us. Oh, they left, but they never belonged Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong uh, with us. But you are not like that, for the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth. You belong to Jesus, but you belong to a body of believers. You, you're, you're part of a, of a fellowship somehow. I don't, I don't, maybe it's a, a, a light group that you attend. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a couple of small group of people who get together and pray and talk about spiritual things and hold each other accountable and pray for one another. You're part of, you're part of a body somehow. You can't be disconnected from the body and say you're part of the head. You, you, you have to be connected somehow. That's why we, 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 we so want you to be a part of a small group. We call them light groups living in God's heart today. We so want you to connect together. Oh, I ask people, oh, oh, you're a believer in Jesus. You bet I am, man. Where do you go to church? Well, yeah, man, I go to this church. It's, uh, yeah, man, I go to church. Where do you go? Ah, oh, forget the, yeah, you don't know the name of your church? There was a guy came here one time. We have food pantry, right? And, uh, uh, you know, he, you know, sometimes people come to food pantries, not always, and they got a little ulterior motive, whatever. And he says, yeah, ma'am. He goes, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a part of this church. I'm a part of the church, man. So he wanted a little extra baggage, right? Give me some, give me an extra turkey, whatever it was. I'm part of the church. And he goes, yeah, really? He goes, well, what's the pastor's name? He goes, ah, I don't, uh, I don't know. Okay. So he says in a stroke of brilliance, he goes, well, what does he look like? Short Mexican dude. Ah! <laughs> okay, what church you go to now? <laughs> short Mexican dude? No, listen. Listen, he is not short. 
And with all due respect to my Latin friends, I'm not Latin either. <laughs> Jesse, however, you know. <laughs> He's raising his hand in the back. I see you, brother. I see you. Represent Mexico. Orale, <laughs> vato. Is that okay to say that, Jesse? I don't know. You know, Jesse tells me all these things, and I say them outside of he and I, and I get in trouble. Like, I can't believe you said that. Well, Jesse says it all the time. I mean, what's the problem? <laughs> Jesse. Oh, the, the brother didn't go to our church, that gentleman. It's like, no, no. You got to belong. You got to belong. And, and here's the last thing. You got to be led. And, and this is, see, sometimes you can, you can know all the right answers to the questions, and sometimes you can say, oh, yes, I go to church. But, but, but here is where the rubber meets the road. How do you live your life? There's no disputing how you live. Because we grow up, we can, we can say all the right things. We, we, can, we can attend semi-regularly. We might even be twice a year Christians at church. But there's no denying how you live your life. There's no denying that. Am I led by the Spirit of God? Because one of the evidences that I have a relationship with Him is I'm led by the Spirit. Hey, Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says this, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If, everybody say if. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. We have to be careful that we start to judge people. But John is saying there's an evidence that you belong. And that is the Spirit of God is leading your life. And there's evidence of that. That's all. That's all. It's not that you met my standards. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you checked off all the boxes. Let's say you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't date girls who do. You don't buy. No, 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 no. It's not what we're talking about. So many people don't have a relationship with Jesus because they believe it's all about do's and don'ts and whether you check the boxes or not. And it is so much bigger and deeper and broader than that. Listen, he's not after your little habits and behaviors. He's after your heart. Because if he gets to your heart, he has all of you. And for those of you who feel condemnation, you're a believer in Jesus. And you feel condemnation. That is not from the Lord. You need to let go of that. And mostly it comes from other people. Because we don't check all their boxes. There's a story of a man in the Bible who, who was next to Jesus when he died. We call him the thief on the cross. And they're arguing about getting off the cross. What, there were two thieves. One of them says, yeah, yeah, why don't you get yourself off of this cross and get us off too? In other words, get me out of here. The other thief comes to his senses and says, do you not fear God like at all? Dude, we're dying. You're not going anywhere. And he turns and looks at Jesus and says this. Listen, he has this revelation of belief. 
at the last minute. And he says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Jesus looks at him and says, today, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. I believe he was led by the Spirit in that decision. Believe. Belong. And be led by the Spirit. Believe. Belong. And be led by the Spirit. John Krakauer in his book, Into Thin Air, speaks of the incredible hazards that plague the climbers up Mount Everest in 1996. That year, the attempt to reach the summit was, was very difficult, some of which because of events that the climbers could con- couldn't control. Uh, the, the extreme weather changes uh, the, the avalanches, and, and, and uh, you can't control all that. Uh, but then there were some things that they could control, and some of them lost their lives as a result of that. One of man's name is Andy Harris, and one of the expedition leaders, uh, when, when you, according to Krakauer, when you reach the top, you've only got so much time up there. You can't lollygag. It's like when you scuba dive. Isn't it interesting? You go high or you go low. When you scuba dive, you get to certain depths. You can only be there so long. You can't violate those depths because you get this thing called nitrogen narcosis where you you start to get almost like you're inebriated and and all you start doing things like taking off your respirator and crazy stuff. You can't do that. You're going 100 feet deep. You only got eight minutes down there. That's it. And then when you come up, you got to stay out of the water for X amount of time or else you're going to a decompression chamber in Malibu. You get the bends. Well, John Krakauer says that the, these expedition leaders have set a time. Okay, we're this long at the peak and that's it. And so, so, so they make their way down. But this gentleman, Andy Harris, stays there past the deadline. And as he starts to descend, he has this dire need of oxygen. So he radios his predicament to the base camp. And he tells them of his need. And and then he says, but I've come upon this case of oxygen. And it's all empty. It's, it's, there's, there's nothing in it. Now, these climbers were the last ones down the mountain. They knew that the canisters weren't empty, but full. And they're like, Andy, no, they're full of air. Listen, t- you've... Take it, open it, and breathe it. And he's like, but he had become so disoriented because of a lack of oxygen. He's like, no, no, they're, they're empty. They're empty. And that's the last they hear from him, and he dies on the mountain. And here's my point. The very thing that could have saved his life was in his hand. But he refused to take it because he was so disoriented, him by oxygen. But us, by our past, by someone who said they believed in God and heard us, by our own preconceived ideas of what God should be or shouldn't be because of some pain or some hurt, then maybe it's justified and we blame God for it. And yet there's this void, not of oxygen, but of the life of Christ that is right in front of us and we hold it in our hand and we come to church and we hear the message and we go, there's nothing in here. And the Holy Spirit of God says, no, it's filled with life take it 
breathe it in and you'll live. And we don't. And we don't. And we don't. And I say to you who, and to myself, I, I say, am I ready? Am I ready? Because one day, listen, this is one day, everything I have will be left behind. Think about that. I mean, maybe you've never thought about that. If you've done a will, you have. A living trust. Everything. Everything. The things I stress out over, the things that aggravate me, the things that, oh, I wish I have and I strive to get it, all that stuff's going to be left behind. I have, I've been at the bedside of countless people. No one has ever talked about their stuff. But they've talked about relationships with others and God. If they've talked about God. I mean, think about it. Everything. My car, my shoes, my underwear, my socks, the salmon in my freezer, my glasses, my shirt, all of them, my everything will be left behind. All of it. Every bit of it. So what does that make me? How do I respond to that? How do I respond to these things that have been brewing in my heart? One day, there's going to be a group of people surrounded around me. And maybe they'll be praying. Maybe they'll be singing praise songs. And I'll breathe my last. And then, because I believe, I'll see Jesus face to face. And I'm telling you, nothing else will matter. And I present to you a life lived with that meeting in mind. is worth living because I believe it's better. Not a value statement. All life is precious, especially life in the womb. But I believe that if I'm serious about these words, I might just might begin to live my life with that meeting in front of me. And I might do some things differently. I might change some things. I might let go of some things. I might give away some things. I might not be so stressed about things. I might go out of my way to restore some relationships that are broken because of me. I I, I just might. I might. That's our challenge today. To live life in light of eternity. And in light of our appointment. I thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ. I thank God that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose from the dead. And I think that by his grace and by his grace alone, that I I belong to him. And it wasn't because I figured it out or because I'm any better than anybody. 
it's because he shined his light of grace and he gave me the, 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 uh, uh, the ability to respond, and I did. And it's all him, and I'm thankful for it. Maybe we can live our lives like that in light of that. Maybe that's the challenge this morning. I'm going to have the worship team coming up. We're going to close with a song in communion. Here, here's what communion is. It's our covenant meal. It, is, it represents our, our Jesus who came and, and lived and died and rose again. Uh, the, the, the juice that is here represents his, his blood that was shed for us. And, and, and I don't have time right now to get into all of the, 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 the intricacies of what that means. But, but, but because he lived a perfect life that you and I cannot live, he, uh, uh, and then died and took, took, took my, my, uh, my guilt and shame before God because I can't get to God on my own good stuff and good works and I can't be good enough. But because I believe in Jesus Christ and I belong to him, I, I'm in. Um, um, and so this represents our covenant meal. The bread represents his body that was broken and the juice represents his blood that was shed. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a moment of just reflection and just thinking about, okay, God, where am I? And, and maybe this is a time of renewal for you. Maybe this is a time where you will say, Lord, I want to, to anew and afresh renew my love for you. I, I've walked, uh, I've, not, I've not connected, but I want to I wanna, today, I'm going to celebrate this communion and, and renew uh, your covenant in my heart. Or maybe you've, you've never, yeah, maybe you were eight years old and you prayed a prayer and you know that you're not in because you have no evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I am not judging you, but I'm pleading with you to repent and turn and come to Christ before it's too late. Because we all have an appointment. Before that appointment happens, come to Jesus. Ask forgiveness. His arms are wide open to receive you in love. And in, it's a cascading love. It's not just, oh, you're a bad person, but, I, you know, it's okay. I love you anyway. It's so much bigger than that. No, I'm a wretched man. And I've committed cosmic treason against God in my words, in my thoughts, and my deeds. And God, there's, there's nothing of me that's any value to your kingdom. Nothing. And you don't need me. You don't need my love. You don't need anything because if you had a need, you wouldn't be God. But you choose to, to draw us to yourself that we might have eternal life with you. I guess you could say that it meant so much to him that he died. It kills him, or it did kill him, that we're not with him. And so Jesus came and died and rose from the dead so we could be with God forever. Hey, a lot of times I meet people and I say, I already know who's going to get the better end of this deal. That's me. I don't know a whole lot, but I know a good thing when it comes my way. And, and this is beyond that. I don't mean to trivialize it. This is everything. We're going we're gonna to say, I want you to, during communion, search your heart, and, and you might need to have a talk with God. You, you, might, you might need to say, okay, God, I, I repent. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I kind of know a little bit about religion, and I don't know a whole lot about you, but I, I want to. Forgive me. 
I want to start anew and refresh with you. I want to have that assurance of your Holy Spirit in me. I invite you in. Use me for your glory and for your purposes. So, And then you can celebrate that with communion here today. So uh, let's go ahead and sing that song. And at any time during this song, if you want to come forward and receive communion,